Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk match fixing as we have an in-depth interview with Chimunya Mwitwa. He's one of seven Zambian players involved in a match fixing scandal in Finland in 2011. He was convicted of accepting bribes to affect the outcome of matches. Mwitwa is now playing a part in trying to encourage sports people to stay away from corruption. We are vulnerable as Africans to match fixing because of the poverty which is here in Africa. So when we are there, they would come, entice you with so many money, uh, and then who doesn't love money? And also Stuart gives us his analysis on what's happening in the English Premier League with yet another manager losing his job. Tony Pulis, uh, West Brom have dispensed with his services, which means now that a quarter of the 20 Premier League managers have not lasted until the end of November. Well, that's coming up later. But first, the African football calendar for 2017 ends on Saturday as Supersport United of South Africa host TP Mazembe of DR Congo in the second leg of the CAF Confederation Cup final. Supersport United hold the advantage. They lost the first leg 2-1, but the away goal puts them in good stead against the Giants' TP Mazembe. Other African football news in the past week. The Confederation of African Football has set up a committee to help the continent's World Cup qualifiers to prepare for next year's finals in Russia. CAF has already agreed to postpone next March's 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers until October to allow the teams that are going to the World Cup finals in Russia to focus on their preparations. And Hervé Renard, who won the Africa Cup of Nations with Ivory Coast and Zambia, has had his contract as Morocco's national team coach extended until February of 2022. Renard qualified the Atlas Lions for the 2018 World Cup this month, so they'll be back at the World Cup after a 20-year absence. Well, now to our main issue on the show this week. It's match fixing. And match fixing in football has hit many countries in Africa and around the world in the past 10 years or so. What FIFA now calls match manipulation has its roots in international betting syndicates who pay officials and players to win or lose a game, often by a certain scoreline, or to score or concede at a certain time, or to manipulate a game in some other way. Back in 2011, seven Zambian players involved in a match-fixing scandal in Finland were given suspended jail terms. They were convicted of accepting bribes of between $15,000 to $57,000 each to affect the outcome of matches. The Singaporean man at the heart of the investigation, Wilson Raj Peramel, was sentenced to two years in prison. Peramel also masterminded a match-fixing operation here involving the Zimbabwe national team between 2007 and 2009. Well, I met one of those Zambian players recently here in Harare. His name is Nchimunya Mwitwa, and he now has a passion for warning others about the dangers of corruption and cheating in sport. Well, Mwitwa learned the hard way. While he didn't go to jail, he was banned from football for three years by FIFA, and this at a time when top clubs in Europe were interested in him as a tall, skillful striker. 
Well, Mwitwa was unable to revive his career and is now coaching back in his home country of Zambia. Well, in this in-depth interview, Mwitwa first explained to me how he got caught up in match fixing. When when we we were uh, involved in the in the match fixing, yeah, we as in Africa where you find when you play very well, you are given money uh, just from soccer fans who are happy with the way you were playing. It's an African thing. For me, it was a normal thing. But when I was when I was in Europe and then I was playing football, there was a time we said. We want to win the league so that we can go in the Premier League. Then uh, these people who were offering us money, we told them, we gave them a condition saying, if you want us to to get money from you, we just have to get money so that we can win games. And us, we saw it not to be a, a bad thing because I had this background in me that if you play well, someone comes and gives you money. It's, it's normal. And then we played so many games, winning, winning all the time, and we were receiving money, not knowing that actually anything that is not uh, in the contract, any money from an outsider, it's, uh, it's wrong. You, you need to inform your, your, your managers, your employers. You need to inform them. And that's where it all started from. We never knew, but... Like they say that ignorance uh, has got no defense in the courts of law. I was ignorant about it, but now I know better. Then from there we went to the courts, we were found guilty, and then I was banned by FIFA for three years. I didn't play anyway until after the, the ban was lifted. But the time I was banned, it was so bad for me. I went into a depression uh, where my parents also had to advise me to leave my town to go and stay in another town because of uh, victimization. Yeah, it was so bad. Then I think I went through a bad patch, which um, today I can say those wounds, I, I caught this from Oprah Winfrey, that the wounds turn the wounds you have into wisdom. Then I said, if... I can try to make a difference and to live a free life. I need to tell my friends who are in the sports industry that sport can be this cruel if you are on the wrong side of the law. It doesn't matter, like today, if I start saying, no, I was unfairly judged, I was, I was put in the, in the docket uh, wrongly, I would be lying to myself because why in the first place did I find myself on the wrong side of the law? So that's why I'm trying to educate people that being on the wrong side of the law is not good. So Safe Sport, uh, which is being uh, uh, sponsored by the Norwegian Olympic and Paralympic Committee uh, in, in cooperation with um, ZOC, the Zimbabwean Olympic Committee, they they came together and said, let's run this in Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe also has been infected by this vice and it was affected in 2009, yeah. 
it was affected. So we are just trying to help people uh, to come out, not really condemning or judging anyone. We're just trying to tell people that there are bad things that are ruin, ruining careers. Because if I was not found uh, involved in the match-fixing scandal, I would have played for the biggest teams in, in the world because my coach used to tell me that I was so good even for, for the Finnish league. I was better. Then my agent uh, got me some teams, which I was supposed to go and uh, sign for those clubs. But unfortunately, I was caught up in the match-fixing. You could have gone to teams like Bayern Munich, uh, Lyon in France. They were interested in you. My agent said he had he, he was talking to these big clubs. That was uh, years back. How true it is, I don't know. But my agent told me this uh, these things. Then sometimes I would I would picture myself playing for uh, big teams. Like I support Arsenal and Barcelona. So I picture myself, if I was not involved in match fixing, I would have played alongside Messi, alongside um, Thierry Henry. But my career was ruined because of being on the wrong side of the law. So you had a three-year FIFA ban. Did your career get back on track at all after that? Yeah, it did, but it wasn't the same. Because after the ban, I stayed three years without playing football. Three years is a long time for a sports person. I came back, I went to Uganda, went to, to Botswana, I played there, but not at, at the highest level. So as an African player in Europe playing in Finland, why do you think you were targeted by match fixers to be a part of this? Yeah, in Finland, the, the wages there, they are not so big as it is in, in these other European countries. So an African, because of poverty here in Africa, sport has provided a way out. We get these managers who would provide a way out by sending us to Europe to uh, cheap, uh, cheap countries, cheaper countries, and then we sign a contract. And then whilst we're there, these... Uh, Fixers would come. It is the, we are vulnerable as Africans to much fixing because of the poverty which is here in Africa. So when we are there, they would come, entice you with so many money, uh, and then who who doesn't love money? There have been many other stories besides yours and what you went through. How would you say the situation is now concerning match fixing, not only in Africa but globally? Has it been dealt with? I've, I've got a book, The Global Report on Corruption, uh, 2016, by Transparency International. They are trying to combat, to combat match fixing. They are trying as much as possible, but it's not the case here in Africa. Here in Africa, it's not like how our friends are doing it in Europe. So that's why we are trying to, to fight it, by just making sport to be to be safe the countries like zimbabwe south africa uh, togo in italy i'm sure you you know about um, 
Juventus when the, those teams were even relegated and docked points. So it's it's globalized because there's this um, the betting the betting companies. What is there is the betting companies are not the problem because they are also here to make money. It's a it's a business, but now. The people who are greedy are the problem because they want money, lots and lots of money to themselves. So they will try to influence a game so that they can uh, reap and harvest lots and lots of money. So it's very courageous of you to stand up and tell your story to others uh, of what you went through and the mistakes that you made. What is your message for other sports people and for young people? To stay away from corruption that that's what i can say because what i went through i don't want to see any other sports person go through imagine the thing that you love the most you can't do it for three years i was lucky to be banned for three years but others they've been banned for life imagine a career being ruined because of being on the wrong side of the law then you stay the rest of your life trying to change your career. I think it's not good. Let us stay on the right side of the law and achieve what we want to achieve with our careers. So I wouldn't want to see any other person go through what I went through. It is not good. I was depressed. If I was not strong enough and my family being on my side, maybe I would even commit suicide. And uh, these big things do start with small things, don't they? Is this part of the problem? Even in our school sport, we do have cheating going on, and this can lead to bigger things. Yes, it's, it starts on the small things. Stealing money from your parents' space or handbag. At the end of it all, you find yourself now doing the big things. How did you manage to get your life back on track? Because you said you were going through depression. Honestly, my family was there for me. My wife was there for me. And um, Ona Janza, who happens to be the technical director of um, the Football Association of Zambia, he was there for me. And uh, Pongali Wewe, who is now the general secretary of uh, the Football Association of Zambia, these people were there for me. When I was really down, they saw what was going on with my life, and I really appreciate what they did for me. My life got on track because of these people, and above all, God. God was there on my side. He didn't condemn me. He didn't judge me. He just said, you're still my son. What really got me going was I think I needed to change someone's life. So for me to open up and now go out and say, if you do this, you'd be caught. Please, try not to, to involve yourself in these vices. I have seen so many people who are changing bits by bits, and for me, I, my conscience is now free. So helping others is, is a part of the process? Yes, it's the healing process one can ever get. Tell us a bit about your faith as a follower of, of Jesus. Uh, how did this help you through all of this? I'm a strong believer. I come from a Christian background. My parents are Christians. When I started saying, 
I needed to change. My, my parents started taking me to church that if you need healing, you can only find healing in Christ. Look at Christ's life. Look what he went through. He suffered for you. So all these, what you went through, they're nothing compared to what Christ did. And then I received salvation. And God has just been there for me. In all things, he's been there. At the lowest point, he was there. My son, I do not condemn you. I do not judge you. Just forge ahead. Look to the future. The past is gone. Just look to the future. You say you received salvation. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, I, I was baptized a long time ago, even before I got involved in all these things. I was baptized, but I never knew Christ the way I do now. After everything that happened to me, at the lowest point, that's when God spoke to me and said, I am your father and I love you. From there, I started reading the word of God, and the word of God has really touched my life. And that's why I am preaching the gospel through sport. You had so much promise in your career. Do you still have regrets now? I can honestly say I live a life of no regret. What happened is in the past. I don't regret what happened. What, for me, not to regret what happened is to try and change someone else's life. That is Nchimunya Mwitwa, one of seven Zambian players involved in a match-fixing scandal in Finland in 2011. He was convicted of accepting bribes to affect the outcome of matches. And as we heard there, while the fight against match-fixing continues, Mwitwa is now playing a part in trying to encourage sports people to stay away from corruption. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Then you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. And now we turn to social media. And last week we asked the question, is this the end of an era for Ivory Coast? The Elephants have been arguably Africa's best team over the past 12 years or so, but they missed out on a fourth consecutive appearance at the World Cup after a 2-0 home defeat to Morocco. Also, earlier this year, they were eliminated in the group stage of this year's Africa Cup of Nations. So we asked, would you say that this is the end of an era for the Elephants, or will they bounce back? To Facebook first, and Kasim Oscar in the Gambia says, Yes, I do think it's the end of an era. Ivory Coast without Drogba, Yaya Toure and others is not a complete team. They must introduce a good goal scorer like Drogba, says Kasim. And Michael Wiz Camera also in the Gambia agrees, saying it is the end of an era because looking at the past decade, they had one of the best teams in Africa. But with those players retiring, the young lads like Wilfred Zaha, Frank Kessier and Maxwell Corne will have to fill in the gap, which will take a matter of time, says Michael. But more Cisse in Naples in Italy disagrees, saying I don't think it's the end of an era. Uh, they can bounce back because Ivory Coast is a home of football. On WhatsApp, uh, Samson Makawa in Malawi is optimistic about the future for the elephants. I can't totally say the era has come to an end, says Samson. 
Previously, players have played for a lengthy period together, which made it easier for them to coordinate themselves. But with hope, they will bounce back. A similar thing has happened to Italy, having missed the 2018 World Cup, and they will bounce back, says Samson. Good point there. Mohamed I. Kinte in the Gambia says, "I can say their football has been declining since the time of Drogba, the Toure brothers, Salomon Kalou, and that group which dominated African football. In my point of view, they're in a rebuilding process with young and inexperienced players. They're a big footballing nation, and for sure, they will come back to their best form," says Mohamed. Donald in Cameroon says it's unbelievable that the elephants won't be at the World Cup, but I think they will bounce back because of the great talent they have in their team there. Suleiman Sonko in the Gambia says they will bounce back. The downfall of a man is not the end of his life. Right now, they just lack instrumental leaders like Drogba, Yaya Toure, Kolo Toure, and others. To Malawi now, and Ephrathah Kamanga says, "Yes, it's true that they will bounce back. Even the Bible says that everything has its own time." But John Mendy in the Gambia is less certain. Personally, I want to believe Ivory Coast will surely bounce back, but they need to look at themselves again in terms of structuring and organisation in order to be better. Unless that's done, I personally believe the golden generation is rapidly fading. Says John. Good to hear from you. Over to East Africa, and Odipo Morris in Kenya says, "No, I don't think it's the end of an era. Not really. It's just that the opponents were more determined. Just like in Europe and the two Americas, some giant footballing nations have disappointed. But back to the elephants, it now gives them ample time to put their house in order," says Odipo. Duruchidi Reginald in the Gambia says simply the team needs to be reshuffled. It's already an aging team," says Duruchidi. But Moses, also in the Gambia, says I think it's not the end of an era. I hope and expect them to deal with the problems that are affecting them. I was really disappointed when they even lost to Gabon, but I hope they will soon be back to their old days," says Moses. To Ghana now, and John says, "Well, by the look of things, the way I see it, they lacked confidence playing in the qualifiers, and in order for them to bounce back, they should get a good coach who can do the job." At Ibrahim in Sierra Leone says, "I'm of the belief that they will bounce back." Karamba Dabo in the Gambia agrees, saying, "I don't believe it's the end of an era. The elephants will bounce back and qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar." Finally, on this, a couple of voice notes.、Uh, here's Modu Njie in the Gambia.、Uh, I think most of them will come back, but I, I cannot say exactly tomorrow or another World Cup. But they will come back. They will come back. But it's not easy because of they don't have good academics. That's a, the big problem. So Modu, they're doubting the academies、uh, in Ivory Coast. Here's Ebrima Kante, also in the Gambia. I'm a bit. Disappointed in their performance, but I believe they can bounce back because they have a lot of good players, young players that are very good and that are performing well in the Premier League and other leagues. Wilfrida, they have the Manchester United defender that is also playing very well, and they have a lot of good players in in Italy and Spain and in France. So I believe they can bounce back. Ebrima referring there to Eric Bailly, the Manchester United defender. Well, thanks so much for all of those contributions. Always great to hear from you. Apologies if we didn't get to read out yours. This week on the show, we're asking: Is Mohamed Salah Africa's best player right now? 
The Egyptian is the leading goal scorer in the English Premier League. He's one of the five finalists for this year's BBC African Footballer of the Year award. We'll see if he wins that or not. But right now, at this moment, would you say that Salah is Africa's best player? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, let's focus on the English Premier League now. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Let's start with Salah Stuart. Great form that he's in, and he continues to sparkle for Liverpool. Yes, two goals for Liverpool as they beat Southampton three 0 and that makes Salah currently the leading goal scorer in the Premier League with nine goals. And if you think who he's ahead of, it makes it even more amazing. On eight goals, we've got Harry Kane. Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus, Romelu Lukaku and Chelsea's Morata. What a start to the season Salah has had. Yes, impressive. And uh, Manchester City are looking superb, aren't they, with an eight-point lead at the top of the table? Well, yes, last weekend saw Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea all win convincingly to stay in the top three positions. As you say, Manchester City really looked the team to catch. Arsenal beat Tottenham 2-0 which leaves Tottenham with an astonishing run of only one win in their last 17 away games against a top-six team, and they really have to improve on that. Arsenal dominated the game, and of course last week I commented that Alex Awobi of Nigeria had done really well to get a starting place in the Arsenal team, and wouldn't you know it. This week he's left out, he's on the bench, he only comes on for five minutes, and Mesut Ozil, whom I said was on his way out of Arsenal, was the man of the match. I'd better stop making predictions, Steve. Now, two positives came out of the Manchester United 4-1 win over Newcastle. That was Romelu Lukaku scoring, and that's incredibly the first time since September. And also, 36-year-old Slatan Ibrahimovic coming on as a second-half substitute, his first appearance since April after that horrendous injury. Yes, good to see Zlatan Ibrahimović back from injury. In other news, Everton's Senegal striker Uma Nyas has become the first English Premier League player to be punished under new English Football Association laws introduced in May to do with diving. Nyas was found guilty of diving and banned for two games. He'd won a controversial penalty in the draw last weekend at Crystal Palace. And Stuart, another manager fired. Uh, Yes, uh, Tony Pulis. uh, West Brom have dispensed with his services, which means now that a quarter of the 20 Premier League managers have not lasted until the end of November. It was a sequence of only two wins in 21 games that eroded the support for Pulis. There's rumblings that the supporters were never happy with him, the dressing room and finally the directors. Now, Pulis is an experienced manager. He was at Stoke for 10 years, then Crystal Palace and uh, West Brom for two years. And he's never actually been relegated with any of those teams. But I think the fact that Stoke is a neighbour of West Brom and bringing in a rival manager never went down well with the Albion fans. He signed several good players, including... English internationals Gareth Barry, Kieran Gibbs and Jay Rodriguez at the beginning of the season, but didn't get the win, so had to pay the price. 
But, you know, as we talked about last week, the kind of people who are being talked about to replace him are all people who were sacked recently at other clubs. So it is a kind of merry-go-round. You get sacked for failure one place and then you're welcomed with open arms at a new club. Yes, doesn't make sense in a way, but uh, certainly so much at stake, isn't there? And uh, what else caught your eye, Stuart? Somebody has just worked out the dirtiest 50 players ever to play in the Premier League based on the number of yellow and red cards obtained. And uh, Gareth Barry is top of the list with 119 yellow cards and six red cards. I'm pleased to say that the only African who comes into the list is El Hadji Diouf with 55 yellow cards and three red, and he's in 49th place. But we could also just mention Patrick Vieira, who had 76 yellow cards and eight red cards while playing for Arsenal and Manchester City. While he is French, he was, of course, born in Senegal, so we may need to include him. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to be on that list, uh, would you? Thanks very much, uh, Stuart. Uh, well done to Africans scoring in the UEFA Champions League this week. Sadio Mane in Liverpool's draw and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but uh, in a losing cause for Borussia Dortmund as they went down at home to Tottenham. Well, that's it for the show for this week. Uh, from myself, Steve Vickers in Harare and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.